Welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Sarachek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters. Anxiety Sisters. Today we are going to talk about anxiety and eating behaviors. We've noticed that some of our most popular blogs and Facebook posts are on this very topic, so we thought we'd start a conversation on our podcast as well. We've both struggled with weight, body image, and eating behaviors since we were teenagers, basically. Although our challenges have different causes, we're also eating disorder sisters. Exactly. Okay, Ab, so I have a question for you. What kind of eater are you? I want to know what your eating behaviors are like. Very regimented. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that? Yeah. I eat breakfast. I eat dinner. I don't eat after dinner ever. I'm not a snacker. I don't usually have lunch, but I'll have something in the middle of the day, something small, a kind bar or a bag of popcorn or something, you know, a snack of some sort. But other than that, no snacking and... No eating after hours, so to speak. I mean, once I'm done with dinner, that's it for food. So how did you get that way? How did you get so regimented in your eating, would you say? Well, I mean, I grew up with a lot of eating rules. My mm-hmm. father's a dentist, and for that reason and many others, yeah. <laughs> you know, including his family history of obesity and uh, the accompanying consequences, Yeah. you know, there were lots of rules about when we could eat, what we could eat, how much we could eat. So what kind of rules were there? What does that mean? Well, after dinner, my father would say the kitchen's closed. Okay. So so if you were hungry, there say was at no, like 9 o'clock? There was no hungry after 9 o'clock. Okay. There was no hungry after dinner. Okay. Okay. You know, you'd have to sneak into the kitchen. But you ate lunch. Yes. And, yeah. But you, what about at like 3 or 4? Like when you came home from school, was there a snack? Was no. there a? No. No snack. Dinner coming. Dinner coming. No snack. Okay. I'm, not sure, I'm sure that if I had said to my parents I would like a snack, I think they probably would have given me one. Right. But I'm sure it just would have. it just wasn't it wasn't part of the routine. The routine was we ate breakfast together as a family at six thirty, cooked to, cooked to order breakfast. My mother made breakfast every day, full breakfast. Impressive. Yes, it was. It was delicious. That's why breakfast is still my favorite meal of the day. Mm-hmm. Lunch was at school or wherever we were, and then dinner. And then after dinner that was it. Hmm. So there were rules. Right, and right, I, and I and I've kept them. Uh huh. I mean, I, you know, I, why have you decided to keep them? I don't think I decided it at all. Okay. I just think that was. There's two siblings in my family. Right. So I'm the one that towed the line and was the good girl, and my brother's the rebel. So, in keeping with my good girl role, right, I am towing the family script. Okay. And how has that regimen? worked for you? How has your eating behaviors worked for you? Clearly not so well. (laughs) (laughs) No, because a lot of people would hear what you said, which is, you know, I had breakfast at this time, you know, then we had lunch at this time and dinner at this time and we didn't eat junk food. A lot of people would hear that and say, wow, that sounds like a really wonderful setup in terms of keeping your food uh, structured and... In other words, why am I not thin? 
No, <laughs> no. Not why aren't you thin, but what, what was the struggle with that? What was hard? I mean, I understand what was hard as a child, but what might be hard about that? Well, for one thing, because there was such a, a structure, such a, a, a rigid structure, there was no listening to my body. Right. So I have never been in touch with my own cues around hunger and food okay. and wants and needs in that arena because there were rules. Right. Right. And the rules superseded hunger. The rules superseded desire for a particular type of food or a quantity of food. Do you know what I'm saying? There wasn't, it wasn't like when I was growing up, nobody ever said, you know, oh, you know what, tonight we're not in the mood for dinner, so we're just going to have pancakes. Right. You know, I, I remember friends of mine growing up, their parents would do that sometimes. They would make them breakfast for dinner because they didn't feel like, like the mother had bought chicken, but nobody really wanted the chicken. And so right. the father flipped some flapjacks. I mean, not to say that that's such a big deal, but that never would have happened in my house. If you were particularly hungry one night, did you have seconds or did you There have... were never seconds in my house. Okay. There were no okay. seconds. That was part of the rule. <laughs> Come on. You met my grandmother. You know there's no seconds. <laughs> I have met your grandmother. I do. You've, your eaten, you've eaten at my house Quite many, well. many times. Have you ever had seconds? <laughs> With your grandmother's cooking, I would have been a little bit afraid. <laughs> That's at the end. She was decent. Yes. Although, you know, <laughs> she made Jenny Craig meals look huge. <laughs> <laughs> so what did all that do for you? Okay, so, like, so, so I had all these external rules, and that tends to, to separate you from your internal cues. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? There was no altering. It was, those were the rules. There was no having a different experience each day. Right. Which, like, some days were naturally more hungry than other days. Right. Or no, we're I was not. I was, one thing. We were, in our house, we were the same amount of hungry every <laughs> single day, every single breakfast, lunch, dinner. Well, were meals joyous? Joyous. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. I mean, honestly, one thing that we did do that was somewhat joyful is we went out to dinner a lot. Right. And that felt celebratory and fun. Right. Uh, also because my parents weren't paying such close attention to what I was eating. So, and, and you know, when you go to a restaurant, you get a much bigger portion. Right. So right. I definitely found and joy. And I remember you used to have pizza night on Friday night. Yeah. So oh, you yeah. always told me exactly. about that. Oh, yeah. We love pizza night. So, no, I'm not saying that I didn't have joy with my family around eating, but not, not at home. Okay. There was no joy around eating at home. Right. So it know. was very regimented and, and uh, serious. Yeah, it was. My mother didn't like to cook. Uh-huh. Uh, my father wanted a wife that cooked. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> And then they seem to work this whole thing out really well now. It's like my right. brother and I look at my parents now and they go, oh my God, they're, they're so relaxed now about food. <laughs> but, right. But it was different when we were younger. Yeah. And they were, and they were quite young. Yeah. They were very young parents. Yes. Very, very young. I really didn't know what to do with a feeling of hunger if it came at the wrong time. Right. Or a feeling, I would imagine, of a lot of eating freedom in a way. No eating freedom. Because you were you're very good with eating rules. The best the best times I remember were going to my friend's house, Julie. She lived a block away. I used to go to her house, and I remember her parents always had Coca Cola in the fridge. And they oh, I mean, the second I walked in her house, I went right to the fridge and took out a bottle of Coke. And the, the parents were always so nice about it. They're like, sure, go ahead, because we were not we didn't have soda in our house. There was right. no sugar soda, and you could never even order it at a restaurant. My father right. was a dentist, and even then they understood that yes. sugar that soda is poison. Yeah, but it was taboo, and I wanted it more than anything. 
Yeah. I swear that the most weight I ever gained was basically a Coca-Cola diet. <laughs> when in college, it's all, you know, everyone else around me was drinking, doing drugs, having right. sex, and I right. was just drinking Coke. Right. That's all I wanted to do. We had alcohol available to us all the time as kids. I had no interest. I just wanted to, to drink sugar. I mean, I, I still see that in my house sometimes when my kids, you know, have friends over. I have the snack drawer, and we do have soda around, and I can see that certain friends make a beeline that was us. That was forbidden. me. Forbidden. Yep, that's what me and my brother used to do. We would go to neighbors and friends' mm-hmm. houses, and the first thing we'd ask is, "Do you have soda?" Oh my goodness! If we got to have dessert after dinner with a friend, ugh, it's right. like really a treat because we didn't have dessert regularly at home. Right. But, you know, we'd have ice cream once in a while, but we'd have to walk to get to. We'd like, it's like a two-mile walk to get to it. So we'd like exercise in order to right. get to your Carvel. Right. right. I'm exaggerating that slightly. I don't think it was really two miles. More like a mile. Still. The other thing that my wait red- wait can you tell our listeners about your Halloween situation? Because oh, must I? <laughs> only I'm only asking this because you know as a kid Halloween was my absolute favorite yeah, holiday. I hate Halloween. And Abby, I don't hate it anymore. But right, I, I Abby did. always told me she hated it. I was like, who could hate Halloween? Yeah, the dentist daughter can hate <laughs> Halloween. It was horrendous because you know my brother and I would go out trick or treating with our pillowcases, and we'd come back with all the loot, you know. Yeah. And my father would take us into the kitchen. We had this huge white formica table. Yeah. You know, it was like one solid piece of formica, <laughs> <laughs> and he would take our our pillowcases and dump them out on the table and we'd see all this candy and our eyes would be just enormous with joy and delight as is true for children when they see lots of sweets. Right. And my father would say, pick two things each, (laughs) but here's the thing. You couldn't even pick any two things. Cause if you picked something like, let's say you picked a sugar daddy, right? Yeah. No, that will break your teeth. So that would get taken away. If you picked rock candy, that will break your teeth. So that if you picked a hard candy, nope, that can, in other words, it was really pretty By much By the way, chocolate. Abby has lovely teeth. I do. I have excellent teeth. <laughs> yeah. I've never had a cavity. She never had a cavity. I have really nice, straight, pretty teeth with yeah. no cavities. So thanks, Dad. No, so we would pick two things, which generally had to be chocolate, basically. Okay. You know? um, but I'm, one, da- I'm one, down with that. Yeah, okay. but one kiss was one piece. Right. So it's like you wanted to look for the largest piece of chocolate. Like if somebody, you know, in the 70s, people didn't give out whole candy bars. They right. gave those fun size bars. Right. But every once in a while, somebody would just throw you a bone and put a Kit Kat in. You know, it's like that was hitting, <laughs> was hitting gold. The neighbors were probably like, the Greenberg children are coming. Let's give them something to eat. Yeah. <laughs> so my brother and I, would, you know, take two things. And then my father, to our horror, and he, I'm sure he has no idea how painful this was to watch, yeah. but... He would open up the, the pillowcase with his arm, make one big sweeping motion, and sweep all of the other goodies into the pillowcase. Then he would go, we had a trash compactor. Oh. So he would open up the trash compactor, dump all of the candy in there, close it, and turn it on. <laughs> so you could hear all the candy being compacted and ground up. I was going to say, if he just threw it away, I mean, what would keep you out of the carpet? Nothing. <laughs> I would have been that garbage would have been my best friend. Are you kidding? Do you think I'd be complaining right now if he threw it in a garbage can? <laughs> Even if he took it to the curb, I wouldn't be complaining. I just I don't have a party on the curb. <laughs> he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. So, yes, that's my Halloween. Well, you always say that all of this structure made you an excellent dieter. It did. 
It did because I was used to rules. Right. So I wasn't rebellious. And, you know, and I remember I was like the star of my Weight Watchers class because <laughs> all of the people in the class, you know, and I was in Weight Watchers so many times, but all of the people would be so amazed that I didn't have any issues with snacking. And you know how they do those weekly presentations? I would say every other week was all about how to control night cravings. Right. You know, and then they'd get to me and they'd be like, how do you control your night cravings? And I'm like, I don't have night cravings. I don't eat after dinner. Kitchen right. is closed. Right. <laughs> so but when, when you're good at following rules, then diets work. I mean... Sort of. Right. They sort of work. Okay, Mags. I'm turning it back on you now. <laughs> Your turn. What kind of eater are you? So my eating behaviors are much less regimented than yours. Um, <laughs> I've noticed. Those aren't. I've um, noticed. <laughs> but unfortunately for me, I have a real craving for sugar. I could go for days of, with just eating sugar. Tell me what that's like. Because <laughs> I personally, I don't really know what that's like. You know, I really crave sugar. The difference between the two of us, you get a real joy from different kinds of foods. You yes. know, like you'll you'll be like, go to a restaurant and it will be a very joyful experience to you to taste like the different. Yes. The I'm, di- I'm very sensual with food. Yes, really to taste all the different things that they have. And for me... You know, people will always say to me, I don't understand you're eating. You're either eating like a six-year-old's dessert, a chocolate brownie sundae, or you're eating quinoa with broccoli. I know. It's true. You, you, you either eat the most healthy things ever put out there <laughs> right. because you like them, because you choose them, not because you yeah. think it's a good thing for you, but yeah. you just love that food. I mean, I remember you telling me how you were making this lentil soup and eating it over and over and over yeah. again. It's like... Nobody ever got fat from eating lentil soup every day. Right. You know? I'm either eating things that are very sugary, literally Such like as uh, cookies. Yeah, cookies, candy, ice cream, cake, but not sort of sophisticated ones, like really the yeah. same things no, you not, like. You're not, a, you're not a creme brulee girl. No, no. <laughs> and my other pieces, I did grow up eating a lot of food that my mom cooked a lot of vegetables and lots of salads. And part of it, honestly, is that I couldn't. Once I'm not eating sugar, I don't really care that much what I am eating. You know, so it's like I'm not enjoying fast food. I'm not even really enjoying meats or chicken. You don't have a wide palate. I can eat it, and I like having different ethnic foods. But once I'm not – once I am not eating sugar, it's sort of like, well, I might as well be eating vegetables. So so sugar's joyful. Sugar's joyful some of the time. Some of the time. Not always – I understand what you mean by you that. You know what I mean? I do. Uh, I do because I adore sugar. Sometimes it's a. Sometimes, sometimes it feels a, punishing. Sometimes it's punishing. Sometimes it feels like how people who drink too much describe drinking, where you know sometimes it's enjoyable and they like what it does to them, and sometimes it's not. Okay, so so your eating behaviors are kind of. They're very uneven. Uneven. They're uneven, and when. How many times a day do you typically eat? Oh, well, I snack all the time. I, I am not such a big meal eater. That's a struggle so, so for me. So you graze. I graze all day. And you eat at night, too. And I eat at night. Oh, nights are really difficult for me. Yeah, After, and, and that's what a lot of women tell us that. Yeah, nights are I, difficult. Nights are very, That's so very funny because it's so easy for me not to eat after dinner. But When I'm tired, um, I'll, I notice I'll just keep eating at night when I'm tired. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, how has this eating pattern worked for you? <laughs> About the same as yours has worked for you. <laughs> um, Wearing 
disorder sister. Absolutely. So, with the exception of a few different times in my life, different periods of my life that sometimes lasted several years, eating, you know, has been something fraught and difficult for me. You and, know, and for me as well, and for many anxiety sisters that we've heard from. Definitely. Which is why we decided to, this is pretty intensely personal for you and me. We, yes. We, we've never expected to talk about this. Absolutely. And But and, we've just gotten so much response um, from our Facebook followers and from our website followers about this topic. Well, in my family, like in your family, it was somewhat criminal to be overweight. Yeah. It's still, know, it still is in my um, family. That's still a... That'll get you some jail time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was uh, not. It was somewhat criminal to be overweight, and it was more complicated by the fact that my parents confused puberty and sort of my my body naturally getting curvier with becoming overweight. Yeah, that that happened in my family I too. I think that happens to a lot of women when they hit adolescence and their body is changing you know they're not these tiny stick figures anymore and I think for my family which was which I think is a little different in your family but I'm not sure but in my family a lot of my sexuality or my sensuality becoming a woman was very scary to my parents in many ways and I think when I got breast and hips even though I was still quite by any stretch of the imagination, I think it was really scary for my parents. And so it became a weight issue for them. Mm. You know, it became like they sort of wanted me to go back to not having breasts and hips or yeah, I, I being noticed. I remember very clearly that my parents thought I was overweight at my high school graduation. I mean, I remember like right. the whole thing about that. But I have kept diaries since mm -hmm. I'm seven years old. And one of the things that were always in my diaries were my various weights. <laughs> so I recently looked at what I weighed as a senior in high school when I was graduating. And I weighed 118. Right. And I was 5'5". Five five. Right. So that is not heavy. It's right. just that I was starting to, you know, go through, the process. To go through the process of developing into a young woman. And so I wasn't a stick figure anymore. Right. And, and my parents, I, I've always told you the story that when they picked me up from summer camp one year, and it was really a summer I had developed, and I was 5'7 and maybe 125 pounds at that point, my mother said, you look like you've been, like, stung by bees everywhere. Like, you're, because my brother had an allergy to bees, and he'd, like, blow up from them. <laughs> she said, it looks like you were swollen everywhere. Right. Well, you know, it was a summer where I really developed yeah. quite a bit. Pretty quickly, and they hadn't seen me in a couple of months. So I think it was, I think for my parents, there was a lot of confusion and a lot of fear about me. There were, I don't know about the confusion part, but for my parents, there was a lot of fear about Maybe my being Maybe it wasn't confusion over, either. <laughs> no, there was a lot of fear about my being overweight because my father's parents were morbidly obese and had type 2 diabetes and smoked. And In other words, they were sort of the... Yeah, it was, you know, it was... They were the fun grandparents. <laughs> right. In my, I mean, in my... And in my family, it was more about me coming of that age. My mom had lost her mother around that time in her own development. So it's like she had really no guide on how this would look. Right. You know, and I, I think it was very scary for her. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, listen, we're parents. It's, it's not easy. Oh <laughs> there's, there's nothing easy about this. I mean, I'm not, oh, we're not. Wait till we, our son's podcast. Oh, and boy, oh my gosh. <laughs> on my children's podcast. You know, you mentioned that you were an excellent dieter. So I was thinking together, maybe we should just go through <laughs> for both of us because yeah, I, I remember, do you remember the grapefruit diet? I've done more than a few, so let's just go through some of the diets we've we've been on. We can do it together because okay. we've been on so many of the same. Yes. So I, I just mentioned grapefruit diet was very memorable. It was one where you only ate grapefruits and grapefruit juice for like a week. Oh, my God. How long did you do that? I before? don't know. Probably a week. <laughs> um, well, how old were you with your first diet, do you think? Well, I remember taking Dexatrin, which I don't think they make it anymore, but it was basically <laughs> amphetamines. Yeah. Uh, or what you could buy over the counter. Yeah. Were weight yeah. loss aids. I remember buying um, Dexatrim when I was probably a junior in high school. So I would have been 15. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But right. I was thin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And small. Yeah. I remember doing, well, we've both done Weight Watchers. We've done them together. We've done, done them apart. Separate. We've, we've done, done it online. We've done it in person. How many times have you been in a lifetime member? <laughs> I've had Probably that's, less than you. But. I have become a lifetime member seven times. Right. We've yeah. done. So we've done the Weight Watchers. How about Jenny Craig? Remember when I did my Jenny Craig You phase? did Jenny Craig. And I was, you did a very. I was a very disciplined Jenny you were Craig. Very dis- I did. See, I did. Can diet I just say, are we going to get sued if I say that stuff is toxic? <laughs> no. I think that was I, like the most toxic thing I've ever ingested in my life were Jenny Craig dinners. There was like not real food in anything. I mean, I hope they don't sue me for that. I did this place diet center. I don't think it exists anymore, but you went in every day to get weighed. Oh my God. And I did something called the lean line diet. I can't remember what it was. I did these Shackley shakes. And then I did this, these like meta, there were some sort of medical shakes that oh, a doctor yeah. had to do. Metafast. Metafast. A doctor had to do yes. it with you. I didn't do Metafast, but I did Slim Fast. Oh yeah, everyone's done Slim Fast. Which, you know. And I used to buy like the box of the Slim Fast bars and eat the entire box. <laughs> Um, and then I did the cookie diet. Remember when you ate those cookies that were filled with fiber? Did they have oh, yes. Yeah, yes. I did the cookie diet for a while. Of course, I, I added Oreos to the regimen. So. I do you remember that diet that was really popular in the 70s. That It was a three-day diet, and it was supposed to be something about combining. A food oh. So it's like I remember one meal you got to have like a hot dog and broccoli and beets and then ice cream. And it was like you had to combine foods. Now, so I, I, do, a, I do, I do. Do you remember that diet? I don't remember that, but I remember oh my god, my, I, we did that at my house. I think five or six times together as a family. I remember my brother when he was rowing crew because he's very tall. He always had to to get, and very skinny, but he always had to get down in his weight. And so he would tell me, "Why don't you just do this diet? Just do you eat um, one can of plain tuna fish per day and an apple and drink a lot of water." And do a lot of exercise. Oh, my God. So I remember doing that for one summer. Do you remember the summer that I lived entirely on Starbucks coffee, Lenny's soy (laughs) chips, and apples, and I lost 45 pounds? Do you remember that? Wow. Remember how thin I was? Yes, impressive. Well, it wasn't. You didn't think – you were not impressed. (laughs) You were like, nobody can survive on that little food. And then there were the nutritionists. And you know that my mother – did not spend money foolishly. No, right? Shirley was a very, I mean, very disciplined spender. She was a disciplined spender. But it was like, she didn't care how much the damn nutritionist was going to charge. Oh, my parents spent a fortune in nutritionists and doctors. Oh, remember the time you and I went to the Janine Roth retreat? Yes. Oh, yes. God. Do you remember that the second we left there, I had, remember that meal? We went to lunch somewhere, not that far. It was in Massachusetts. We went to lunch, and I just couldn't stop eating 
that that retreat. That that retreat was a nightmare. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, due respect to Janine Roth. There's so, you know she's certainly been a pioneer in certain ways, and I and my and I and I have respect for some of the stuff she says. But when she sat there and looked at us in that retreat and said, "You don't." You don't want to eat the ice cream. Yes. You, want, you want your life to be the ice cream. And you and I look at each other and went, no, we want the ice cream. <laughs> we like the Sunday now. Yeah, please. we'll take the Sunday. We don't really care about the other part. Yeah. Um, yes, we've we've been to the retreats. We've read the books. I've done the, weight, the health and weight program the at Atkins. Canyon Ranch. I've done Atkins. We did South Beach diet and cabbage soup diet, which is similar to the grapefruit diet, oh, but cabbage soup. I did Dean Ornish, like oh, no fat, yeah, Dean which was, which, you know, and again, it's not that all of these are bad or that we don't have respect for them for certain situations. Right. People, well, I did Pritikin and yeah. that, there's a lot about Pritikin. That's, yeah. You know. I mean, Dean Ornish has a lot for people with heart disease and a, a lot of other people for people with eating disorders. Well, any, any can, diet can trap us. is, is yeah. really a trap for people with eating disorders. I'll ask this question for both of us, but, you know, did the diets work? Sometimes not even in the short term. Yeah, I had um, a few successes. Yeah, yeah but... no, we had some successes in the short term, but no, in the end, in the end, once I gained back weight after, after the diet, I actually gained back more weight than, you know, I usually well, ended up higher than I was. Which is, by the way, the true of 95% of dieters. Mm-hmm. 95%, this is a statistic, a true statistic. of dieters weigh more after they finish their diet, five years after they finish their diet, than they did when they started. Right, once you finish the whole cycle. Right. So for me, if I've done 100 diets in my life, and I'd say each diet cost me an additional five pounds... You do the math. <laughs> right. Not to mention the actual money we've spent. Because uh, while Weight Watchers isn't very expensive, it's very expensive when I've done it 30 times. Yeah. And, and you have to pay those intro fees and you're like, oh, I should have just. And you buy all the little things the there. The scale and the point tracker. Yeah, and the, the thing for the water. And I the... just recently threw away my Weight Watchers stash. I had a whole, a giant Tupperware. Right. Filled with like scales and points and journals and restaurants. I mean, it was like insane. Right. And some of these other kinds of diets, like, and, and some of the quote unquote nutritionists Mm. are very expensive. So it's like when you look at the Well, remember Jenny Craig, that was a fortune because even though you had free counseling, it was like $200 worth of food a week. Right. And honestly, it wasn't really food. I'm telling you that that is not food. I think one of the effects was definitely gaining after each cycle, gaining more weight. And that leads you to that sense of failure and like you can't get anything right right and that sense of shame because maybe for six months you were losing weight and, and then you were you getting were... so much approval from the people around you right yes. everybody yes. cheers you on and tells you how terrific you look yes. and there's so much positive stuff right not just from the family but from everyone else sure. around you yeah. or people you haven't seen in a long time oh so my god all this positive reinforcement you yeah. look so great and then, <laughs> and then they see you after you, like, after the cycle, after is the over. cycle's over and they're like, what happened? Right. Well, then he, I or, mean, or, 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 oh, you, you were looking so good for, for right. a while Or there. even if they don't say anything, you have such a, I mean, I had such a sense of shame. Yeah. And my grandmother had the face. She would give me yes. the face when I gained weight. I could see the face. I knew what it meant. It was like, yes. oh. Your grandmother gave me the face, and I wasn't even her grandchild. I know, I know. Um, so there's definitely that sense of shame. Shame, that and, you, and a feeling that you're less than. 
Yeah. Because you just can't get this right. I mean, after your hundredth diet, you do start to feel like, why can't I do this? What is wrong with me that I can't just stop gaining weight? (laughs) Right. And in my family, there was definitely a sense of, you know, if you could if you could only lose weight, like all the other things would be okay. But if you can't lose weight or you are heavy, it doesn't matter what kind of meaningful work you've done or what kind of friends you have or... It diminishes your accomplishments yes. because you did it while you were heavy. Because you did it while you're heavy, you didn't do it. Yeah, or it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Right. Or if you were heavy, you were on hold. Yeah, exactly. You know, you were, in my you family. Were, I was waiting to lose weight, to start living. There were so many things I didn't do. I mean, my world shrunk. We talk about shrinking world syndrome with anxiety all the time, but I actually had it because of weight issues and food issues. Right, explain SWS. So shrinking world syndrome happens when you limit your activities and you, you compromise what you're willing to do based on your anxiety. In other words, you know, you may not leave your house as often as you used to. You may not go to a party that you once would go to. You may not travel like you used to because your anxiety and your fear of having more anxiety holds you back and keeps your world shrinking until the point, you know, for some people, they don't leave their houses. They're agoraphobic. And that's, you know, that can happen from anxiety. Right. And even if you don't get to that point, we always say shrinking world syndrome is whenever you find yourself living around your anxiety. Exactly. Where you're making not making dis- your choices, right. the anxiety is. Yes. I have shrinking world syndrome because of my weight. I do too. Shy I mean, I won't from- go to reunions. Or- right. I shy away from seeing people who I haven't seen in a long time because of my weight. It's something I still struggle with. And I never like to go to fancy events because I don't feel comfortable. You and I, how many times have we had the conversation, oh my God, I have a wedding coming. Oh my god! I mean, the wedding coming, or the bar mitzvah coming, or the you know. Oh, it's tra- it's, it's traumatic, traumatic <laughs> because you feel so bad about how you look. One result of all of the dieting my whole life is that I've developed body dysmorphic disorder, mm-hmm. which is where I truly do not know what I look like. I look in the mirror, and what I see is distorted. I believe in my head that I'm so obese, which I know from my weight is not true. And yet I see myself that way. And it's just from all of this gaining and losing and gaining and losing. Right. And I think that for me, what I've done is I've disconnected from my body a lot. I tend to live in my head yeah, because it's so fraught with failure. Yeah. For, for me also, it's felt a lot like prison. Mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. if you felt that way too, but I have felt imprisoned. By my food thinking, by, by, by thoughts about food, dieting, my weight, you know, all that stuff swirling in my head. I mean, up until a few years ago, I never went a minute without thinking about that stuff. It was obsessive. Mm-hmm. And so I really felt like I was imprisoned mm. to my food thoughts. And it was, it was no way to live. Right. You know, that really shrunk my world because I didn't have a lot of space left to think about other things. Sometimes my trust in myself or even my trust in other people has been lessened because... Oh, dieting constantly absolutely undermines trust. First of all, you're you're being told what to eat and when to eat and how much to eat. So, you don't. once again, just like the rules when I was growing up, you don't learn to listen to your own body. You don't learn to listen to your cues and trust yourself. My mother used to say, like, if someone loves you, they'll tell you when you're getting fat because no no one who loves you would want you to be unhealthy. Now, a lot of times weight stuff in my family was... Framed in terms of health. 
And my family too. You know, in many. They were, many we don't families. care what you look like. We just want you to be healthy. Right, exactly. When I have gone through periods of being very, very skinny, whether I'm healthy or not. Well, you were very sick when you were having all your panic attacks right. when you came back from Italy. Remember that? When you had yeah. all those panic attacks? And I was very skinny and I was very sick. But your mother thought you looked so good. Right. So it really couldn't, could not have been about health. And also, it's really hard to trust yourself when you failed so many times. Absolutely. So I got to the point where I didn't trust myself around food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unless I was on a diet that would tell me exactly what to eat, what I could eat, what I couldn't eat, when to eat. The reason I didn't become obsessional is because I just separated from thinking about it. Yeah, I just you disconnected. Re- I disconnected because it was too overwhelming to think about all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously another another outcome from all of the dieting and the eating disorder stuff is anxiety. Oh, tremendous anxiety around my body, myself, self-worth. my self-worth. Yeah. it's That's still probably the hardest thing for me. It's the thing I struggle with the very most. Oh, me too. Me too. You know? I mean, I still am not walking proud in my shoes, and I should be. Absolutely. And I'm working toward that. But, uh, you know, there's definitely consequences mm-hmm. from living 35 years of this vicious cycle. So we've talked about how the eating issues created anxiety, but what about the vice versa? Like, how does anxiety affect your eating behaviors? On our next podcast, we're going to continue the conversation by delving a little more deeply into the intersection between anxiety and eating behaviors, and also talking about how each of us got ourselves into recovery. Oh, and we and we also want to say that no parents were harmed during the making of this <laughs> Yes, it's, it's true. I'm grateful that my mother doesn't listen to this podcast. But no, I, we we are genuinely grateful for many things that our parents did for us. Yes, yes um, they, you know. But you know what? Should not have, for the eating. You should have taken away my Halloween candy. <laughs> you get what you deserve. <laughs> You're gonna take your kids' Halloween candy. You deserve to be bashed on a podcast. <laughs> Okay, you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and on our website at www.anxietysisters.com. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, Anxiety Anxiety Sisters, don't don't go it alone. alone. You've been listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.